Good morning. Uh, welcome to Faith Brook. I'm Chrissy Thompson. I'm our Connections Director. Um, what a beautiful morning to come together with communion, and um, much like how Jesus did our first communion, it was as a community. Um, so we want you to feel a part of this community here at Faith Brook if you're new or newer here. Uh, today, right after service, up front here, we'll have our discovery class. So you can join us, um, get to know um, our lead pastor, Jim Comfort. Um, some of us staff will join in and just get to know what, uh, who we are as a church and a little bit more about why we do what we do. Um, and just as a little highlight, teaser for you, um, we have our vision at Faithbrook, and part of that is to be a healthy and vibrant church that's spirit-guided, um, impacting our community and our world through an invite culture um, and engaging families. And a piece of that was able to happen this last Wednesday at our um, Pumpkins at the Park event that we hosted right here in Dayton across the street. Um, we had over 100 families come. It was amazing to just be alongside people right in the community, um, inviting them and just getting to know them and being a presence and letting them know that they're welcome here at Faithbrook. Um, so it was a great event, um, and that is only made possible because of your generosity. Being able to provide um, an opportunity to impact our community is all thanks to you. So thank you for what you do and for supporting our um, vision to impact our community. So thank you. We are going to now welcome back our lead pastor, Jim Comfort, as we continue our series, Game Plan. The Ramsey Financial Solutions Group wrote an article this last spring looking at personal finances. They stated, it's a strange time in America for personal finance. Despite record levels of stubborn inflation, fewer people said they were struggling to make ends meet in the first quarter of this last year. Fewer people um, struggling compared to the previous years. But this improvement, Ramsey said, conflicts with the increasing number of Americans who said things aren't getting better for them financially. One possible explanation for this disagreement is Americans might be surviving financially, but they're not thriving. Well, welcome to Faithbrook. I'm so glad that you are um, worshiping with us today. You're online. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe welcome back. Uh, Faithbrook just has a heart to really take the gospel and put it on uh, the simple ways for people can use it and really impact their life and practical uh, aspects. In fact, this is why our kickoff series is called Game Plan, because we have learned that God has a game plan for you and his plan is good for you. And we've been looking at different um, strategies uh, to take on life and some of the aspects of everyday life. And one of the aspects has to do with finances. And today we're going to be focusing on God's financial game plan. Now, do you think it's easy to manage money these days? Is it volatile? <laughs> um, do you find your money going out really quickly? Do you ever get frustrated at the gas pumps or the grocery store on the inflationary prices? Uh, they tell us that people are struggling to get into homes because the ever-increasing interest rates, every time your kids want to sign up for some activity, it costs a whole lot more, and their shoes and shirts, and, and uh, if you go out to eat, oh my goodness, the prices have increased. So we're trying to navigate it. The question is, does God care 
about how we navigate finances? Does God feel our pain sometimes? Does God want to bless us? Is there any biblical teachings? Is there any strategies in the Bible that could help us more than just survive financially, but to actually thrive? Well, I know some people are already getting nervous because the preacher guy is talking about money, right? And money's very personal, right? There's notorious preacher guys out there. They're trying to scam you and take your money. They want to, and I'm not trying to get a new jet or anything like that, right? Uh, Faithbrook is doing well. If you get our monthly newsletter, we have some, some goals to try to do our operating budget. And frankly, we're, we're doing better, better uh, and God is blessing. So we're not desperate. This is not a hidden agenda to get more money in our coffers. Okay, so you can kind of relax. Our, our agenda is for your heart because money is a struggle. And God has a game plan for you. And it's not just to barely make it and to survive, but to thrive. Would you say that the money is a highly personal thing? I mean, just as me speaking it, uh, people already, it's like, man, don't talk about my money. That, that, that's my money, right? And we love money, don't we? It is a blessing. It's kind of like that song says, money, that's what I want, right? Because if I get more money, I can do more things. I can buy things and look good. And, and it's a pleasure. It's a luxury. Not to mention it pays my bills. But a lot of times, money's hard to come by. I mean, money can be spent quickly and money can consume us. We worry about it. We think about it. We stress about it. One of the number one things that families fight about is money. Is that the reason why Jesus and the Bible spoke so much about money? In fact, did you know in the whole Bible, there's over 2,300 scriptures that address possessions and finances and how we um, work our money? Uh, Jesus spoke uh, 15% of his words that came out of Jesus' mouth on preaching, and his preaching was about finances. In fact, one out of four of his stories or his parables was about possessions, material things, and how we view it. See, Jesus understood the average person that finances are very personal, and it can be a challenge. And he wants to give us a financial game plan, not just survive, but hopefully to thrive. Now, I'm going to give you three biblical um, concepts or components to help you financial, find God's financial game plan. Like I said, that's not a formula to get rich or you're going to be prosperous and, and to stack more money in your account. It's really about your heart, these biblical components to help you thrive spiritually foremost and hopefully financially. So let's look at these three biblical components. The first one is perspective. Now, the word perspective means how you view something, right? How you kind of understand it. It might even incorporate your attitude, your perspective. Uh, Zig Ziglar was known for saying your attitude, not your aptitude. Determine your altitude, right? <clears throat> it's not so much your skills and talent, but your attitude that is going to determine your altitude. If you want to fly well, um, and safe and high, that it's that attitude. It's the same way with looking at money. And the first perspective that we need to kind of gravitate to is that God owns it all. God owns it all. Now, this is really hard to communicate because humanly, we're like, no, I own my money. I went to work for it. I've scraped and clawed. I trained for it. I went to school for it. And that is my money. Well, according to the, to the Bible, that's not necessarily true. 
The Bible tells us that God owns it. He created. In fact, in James 1, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Heavenly Father. Now, do you see your salary? Do you see your income? Maybe you have some toys. Maybe you have some blessings, right? Do you, do you see them as a, a good thing? Then the scriptures tell us that it's a good thing from God that he gives it to us and allows us to have it. We, we think about Psalms 50. For all the animals of the forest are mine. I own the cattle on the thousand hills. I got this. Yeah, Dave Ramsey says not only does he own the cattle on the hills, but he owns the hills of the cattle's on, right? God owns it all, and he gives us and allows us to have some pleasures and some assets and some incomes. Some people are like, yeah, but I, but I went to school, and, and I'm very talented here, or I got a big brain, or I got big muscles. And, and yes, because God gifts us and, and uniquely qualifies us for things. You look at Romans 12, talks about the graces and gifts that some people have this and some people have that, and you're good at this. And all of a sudden, maybe your income's a little bit higher because God has been gifted you things, but God owns it all. You don't have to raise your hand on this. But um, how many would say that you own your vehicles outright, your own? How many of you say, well, I own my house outright? Isn't it true that legally the bank owns your vehicles and the bank owns your house? They just uh, give, you, give it and you have to pay them back. In fact, isn't it true that if you don't pay your vehicle loans, they'll repo because it's really theirs. They want their money back. If you don't pay your mortgage, then they'll foreclose on you. You've got to pay it back because legally it's theirs. It's the same concept of God, that God owns it. He allows us to have it. He wants to help us and, and give us some blessings. We see in Jeremiah 29 that it comes from the heart of God. Jeremiah 29 says that, For I know the plans I have for you. It's not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. It's kind of like a parent that wants to bless their kids. You love your kids. Let's say that you have an extra vehicle and they become 16, 17, whatever, and they're trying to get a job and go to school and stuff. And so you say, hey, use our car, all right? The kid's driving around like, hey, the man, look at my new wheels. And the parents are like, it's mine, okay? It's ours, but we love you. We want you to do well in life, and so use the car, okay? That's the perspective that God owns it all. Now, if you're driving your parents' car, they're going to want something. They're going to want you to take care of the car because it's theirs, okay? Show appreciation. That's our second perspective is that God calls you to be good stewards of his resources, good stewards of their resources. And the word steward means a manager of what God has allowed you to have because he owns it all. When I think of managers, I think of the Minnesota Vikings. We're kind of in this uh, game plan uh, NFL season. The Minnesota Vikings have a general manager, uh, a new one a couple of years ago, Quasi Adolfo Menza, right? And he was hired by the owners. Uh, some of you might know who the owners are, Mark and Ziggy Wilf. They're not originally Minnesotans. They're from New Jersey or whatever. And they're very wealthy. In fact, uh, they estimate that between the two brothers, Mark and Ziggy, their, their net worth is over $6 billion. $6 billion. Several years ago, they said, hey, let's take our money and let's buy an NFL team. Uh, let's go after the Minnesota Vikings, okay? And so they invested in the Vikings. They hired the steward. 
this manager, uh, Kwesi, and said, now, Kwesi, your job is to steward this really well, okay? We got a lot of fans. We got a lot of players, and it's complicated, and we're going to have give you a, we're going to believe that you have a big brain, and we want you to bless the people, man. We want you to manage this stuff and keep it at the budgets, and we know there's salary caps. You got to make tough decisions and, and be wise and be frugal, and it's really complex, right? And here's the deal, Crazy. If you do this well, if you do this well, there's going to be a lot of thanksgiving in the state. There's going to be a lot of joy with those Minnesota. Because they've been suffering a long time. They had not had a, a, a championship in a long time. And so please be a good steward. Please manage what we have given you. And by the way, Crazy, we want you to do well too. We want you to prosper. We want you to have some money. And that's exactly the perspective that God is asking us to thrive financially. Not just survive, that it's just us and we better take care of it, but see it's God's. And then whatever he's allowed us to have, may we manage it and steward it well because he owns it all. And the reason is, is that there would be a lot of impact, thanksgiving, and joy in the land. Uh, we see this when Paul was writing to a church in Corinth, Second Corinthians, and they were talking about giving, they were talking about managing money, and Paul writes this, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. God wants to enrich you in every way. Now, a lot of times we're like, oh, he wants to just give us more money. Not necessarily. God's heart is not so much in our pocketbook. In fact, Jesus said, life does not amount to your possessions. That's not that big a deal. What, what God wants to enrich us is our heart, our spirit, that we have a peace and a joy and a forgiveness and there's a security and a confidence and a faith in us. And, that, and, and a lot of times it's, it's some finances. So we can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity is going to do what? Result in thanksgiving to God. That God's going to start smiling because people are broken and people need help and people need redemption and go to eternal life. And when we start giving generously, man, people's lives are being changed. Um, and when we are not, and when we're not generous, it's hard to be generous, my friends, when we're not smart and when we're broke, it's hard to have thanksgiving in the land and blessings in the land when we don't manage it well. And when people understand this, that there is a thanksgiving in the land, it's like Romans, um, tells, uh, Acts 12 tells us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. They become what I call kingdom minded people. Kingdom-minded people. See, kingdom-minded people understand that, that God owns it all. They understand that God's going to uh, ask them to be stewards. And then all of a sudden, they have a, a way of being generous. They, they have a way of making some money. And there's a purpose in their making money. Uh, it's just not all themselves and their family and their pleasures, but to bless other people, that there would be thanksgiving in God's heart and to be thanksgiving in, in the land. These kingdom-minded people understand that God's plan is through the local church. In fact, when Jesus ascended, he, he gave authority and empowered the local people and said, now you're going to be my call them body of Christ. Some places called the, the bride of Christ. It's going to be the local churches. Around the world, there's going to be these little pockets of churches, kind of like, like Faithbrook, right? There's going to be people far from God, uh, broken, hurting stuff, and they're going to come and they're going to need a family. They're going to need a, an experience. They're going to need someplace where there's hope and there's 
love and there's welcoming place and their hearts are going to be softened and opened up to the, the word of Christ. And, and maybe they'll say yes to Jesus and, and have eternal life and forgiveness and experience that grace. Kingdom-minded people understand Luke 15, where it says that there's no more rejoicing in heaven, on, uh, in heaven than one sinner who repents than 99 other people who have already repented. That's a big deal to God. And so they want to please God's heart. And God wants to please them because God knows men, if you, we are aligned and you give, there's going to be a lot of thanksgiving happening over there. See, stewarding and giving God's resources can change the world. And get this, but the first life that can change is ours. When we get that perspective and understand, it's us who starts changing. It's not a get rich formula. It's a get Christ and rich in Christ formula. I love what John Maxwell said. He says, we make a living by what we do. We make a life in what we give. How can we bless other people? By your generosity, more people will be impacted and thanksgiving to God. See, it's a heart thing. It's not a financial thing. It's not, a, I'm up here trying to give you some mechanics to get you richer. I want you rich in your heart. Jesus said, it's a heart thing. We know this because in Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where your treasure, in other words, what's, what's prior to you, just look at your account. Where that money's going, that's what's really important to you. That's where your heart is. So where does he stack in that, right? So that's really hard for us sometimes because we're, we, we don't know if we trust God. And this is a, comes to the second component, biblical component of financial game plan, and that is the promises of God. I would uh, submit to you that a lot of times we struggle trusting God. Uh, we know we probably need to give to God. We need to give to others. But what about our family? And what about those things that we want to buy and do? And, and a lot of times there might not be enough. You know, there might be a recession tomorrow. And, and so we just kind of hold back and keep it ourselves. And we haven't discovered that we can trust God. Now, Jesus is so graceful grateful and, and, and willing. So he just understands humanity and fear and nerves, right? So in Sermon on the Mount, chapter six, Matthew, he says, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for pagans run after these things. I mean, that's kind of the world. Oh man, what do I look like? Uh, you know, am I fashionable? Do I'm driving the cool thing? Am I doing the cool thing? And we better have that. They're stressing out. That's, that's the non-Christians, right? But then he says, your heavenly father knows what you need them, that you need them. See, my friends, this is a big leap for people to understand this by faith, that we can trust God. He's like a dad, a good dad. This, I know you need those tennis shoes. I know you need that tuition. I know you need these things. I, I, I got you. I got your back, okay? But here's the deal, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek me first, he says. What I'm about, right? What I care about and by the way, all these things will be given to you as well. I, I want to bless you. I want to help you. But first, you've got to seek me first. Now, you have to understand we can trust God. We don't have to worry. He's like the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He laid down his life for his sheep. Apostle Paul tried to explain this to the people of Philippi. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious, grace, glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's got us, Okay. Now, he didn't say that he's going to meet all your wishes and your pleasures, right? But I got your back. I'm going to meet all your needs. You can count on me. And that takes some faith. That takes some trust. 
Jeremiah 17, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Do we trust God? If we're going to give generously, if we're going to look to others beside ourselves, can we trust God? He said, yes, but first seek me and my righteousness, and I got your back. All these other things will be given to you. This brings up another promise. Um, this is a little bit trickier, and this is what I call the promise of the pipe. Let me be right back. I got to get my, my pipe. It comes out of Luke. Amen. Luke up here. Let's see if we can fit up there. Yeah. It's about to five. Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a promise of God. I call it the promise of the pipe. God reminds us of this to see God is looking for what we are giving to others. Okay, or what are we measuring out to others? Okay. What are we giving to God, to others? God says, with that measurement, it's going to be coming into you. That's the promise of the pipe. Now, a lot of people say, oh, Jim, are you saying that if I give $100 to God, the next week $100 is going to come in? Not necessarily, okay? Because God's blessing and his richness is more than monetary things. Uh, money is not that huge a thing. It's the, the giving. A lot of times it is monetary, yes. But a lot of times it's about our heart. Are we being enriched spiritually? Are we being enriched in his mercy and his justice and his love, right? That we have a faith and a joy and a wholeness in our life. That's more valuable than any kind of money. You can have a lot of money in your life. You can still be unhappy, discouraged, uh, depressed, because God wants us to learn that we can trust him. It's, it's the same principle as sowing and reaping. What we sow, God's looking He's going to give to us and reap. Because see, God is looking for kingdom-minded people. He wants to enrich us. He's looking for people he can trust, that you manage it well, you understand that it's all mine, and so that the goal is that there's thanksgiving in the land, that the people are being impacted. And a lot of times we struggle with that because, frankly, we were a little bit stingy. We're a little bit stingy to God. We want to take care of ourselves, right? We want to take care of our family. And then when it comes to God, especially, uh, or others, we're like, oh, we're not sure. And that's why we need the third P or the third concept component of financial uh, plan to thrive. And that is wise practices. Third one is wise practices. Now, there's a lot of practices when it comes to finances. We can't share them all this morning. But I do want to make a little commercial for something that's coming up to help families out there. And that is a Financial Peace University class coming up in January. We have a family uh, that's going to, uh, a couple that's going to gear that. I think it's a nine-week course. It's from uh, Dave Ramsey, right? And it's powerful that if you're behind, in debt, struggling, that you can start learning baby steps, baby steps to get on top of your finances and learn some of the practical uh, uh, exercises out there. But this morning, I just want to hone in on two of them, two wise practices. And the first one is to develop contentment through thanksgiving. Develop contentment through thanksgiving. I was reading an article the other day, and this young lady said, I hate that money gives security and pleasures, but some people in the world have billions and billions of dollars, while most just scrape by. I'm not saying I wouldn't do exactly what they're doing. It's just frustrating that their quality of life far surpasses mine. It's frustrating that their quality of life far surpasses mine. Does that happen to you? 
Man, look what those people, they get to do. Can you imagine if your neighbor uh, started sharing that they won the lottery? Who wins the lottery? I'm sure some of you have dreamed about winning the lottery and all of a sudden your neighbor wins the lottery and they're like, woo, we're leaving the neighborhood, man. And we're going to get a mansion and we're going to tell you. I think privately, secretly, you'd be like, don't, don't, I hate that. I wish I could do that. A lot of envy crawls up in us. And I think that's one of our weaknesses out there <clears throat> is that we struggle financially or just survive financially because a lot of times we are chasing comparison. We have a hard time being content with what we have. Sometimes I struggle with that because we live in a world that's making sure that we are not content. Um, our capitalist society and, and, and the merchants out there got to make sure that you're not feeling pretty good about what you have. You know, all it takes is just go, go through the dealership or watch a commercial or walk through Costco and all of a sudden you're like, whoo, that, whoa, boy, that looks really good. We have one of those? Well, I'm not sure if we can afford that. Well, man, I don't feel very thankful or content if I don't have that, right? Let's see if we can just bite the bullet. Next thing we know, we're, we're in debt and we got all kinds of uh, struggles out there because we haven't learned the practice of being content and being thankful for what we have. We always seem that we have to have the latest gadget and push the edges. But God wants to help us to learn the secret of thriving financially. And a lot of that is learning to live content. I appreciate what Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4. I have learned to be content. How many people do you know that are content? Whether the circumstances, I know what it is to be a need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, twice he said, I've learned. The word learn in Hebrew means to pursue. It's actually like, I'm going to go to school to pursue, to learn the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry or living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the wise practice. See, Paul is cluing in this cluing in us, in us that he knows how to be content, and that is through Jesus Christ. His value and his worth isn't coming from his status of material things. His, his value is not in his rank or his vehicle or what his title is. It's in Jesus Christ who died for him. He's a free man. He doesn't have to worry about keeping up with everybody. If people look at him and say, oh, I can't believe you're wearing that and you live there. He's like, I'm okay. I'm okay because Christ Jesus is who I am. He died for me. I'm a child of God. I'm his son. And when it's all at the end of the day, it's going to be me and Jesus. And that's what's worth it. He's a free man. I can do all things through Jesus Christ. But he's had to learn this and pursue this. The contentment doesn't happen overnight. It's something that we have to uh, teach ourselves. Now, some might be asking, does that mean we can't pursue nice things? Does that mean we don't have any all-American ambition? No, not at all. The difference is, is that contentment allows us to, to own nice things without nice things owning us. That, we, that is not our goal in life. It's a blessing. It's a way maybe we can benefit others. And we know God has allowed that and gifted that to us. Now, this is going to take some work is then take some work in our mind to think right. Apostle Paul, once again, hits it out of the park. Next chapter, chapter four, chapter four, he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is praiseworthy, another, I mean, this is good. This is something I can be grateful for. Think about such things. I, I would suggest to you a lot of times, we don't, we're, we don't spend a lot of times being thankful for things, right? Well, maybe a Thanksgiving, okay? But a lot of times we're all upset that we don't have enough and we don't have joy and happiness because someone else has got something and we need that and we deserve that and we're chasing. And maybe he's saying, man, just be content. Be thankful for what you have. Do you use that? I try to do that. Now, I have to admit, I'm going to give a little uh, uh, true confession here that I do kind of have a weak link. If you know the comforts, right? We've been around for a while. We live, we have, we've learned to live content. And God has helped us. Um, God has helped us to thrive spiritually and, and things and, and financially uh, because we've learned to live simple. We live in an older home. We don't drive brand new cars, right? In fact, you know, sometimes I'm a little tempted uh, about uh, tempted to kind of envy other people who have these cool pickup trucks. That's kind of my weak link. I have a pickup truck, but I got an older pickup truck. And, you know, truth of the matter, I kind of look at magazines or commercials. It's like, oh, that is sweet, right? I mean, they got those big old screens and cameras and right big stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to have one of those, right? And next thing I know, I'm looking at my truck. I'm like, right, that's not very fun. And I'm not very being grateful, right? Now, I own a 2007 truck. Some people have even made fun of me. Right? So I either can just give into that and just say, oh my goodness, we got to get in debt again. We got to get some money. I don't care because people might say I got an old truck, right? But when I bought that truck, man, it was awesome, right? It was kind of the truck I wanted. It's a sport track. They don't make them anymore. It's kind of a Swiss army knife, right? All kinds of devices on it stuff. It pulls my boat, amen, right? It's got leather seats, amen. The radio works. The air condition works, right? The heater works. In fact, it's got some cool traction stuff, and the, and the winter just grips and all of a sudden. You know, it's awesome, right? It's all I need, right? But I'm tempted to look at other trucks and like, hmm, that Tacoma, that thing's looking pretty sweet, man. I'd like one of those, right? I have a choice. I can develop Thanksgiving contentment. In fact, I was telling Pastor Taylor the other day that I have a kind of a, a, a practice that, that when I walk out to my tr- truck, often, right, I will say out loud, I will say these words, and I'm, I mean it when I say this, I love my truck. I walk up to him and say, man, I love this truck. It works. It's paid off. It pulls my boat. It does everything I need. Why should I be worrying about what I don't need? And get in that truck, fires up. I'm like, great. It's awesome, right? Now, one day it's going to wear out. Absolutely. But I can practice Thanksgiving. I don't have to worry about what people think. I got an old truck, whatever, right? I am free in Christ and my truck runs, right? And it's paid off. And because it's paid off, I can give some money to other people and bless other people because I know Jesus is smiling and people are being impacted. It's the practice of learning to be content and to be appreciative of what we have and to live free. And like I said, it, it brings the second practice and that is generosity. Generosity. So there's thanksgiving to God. Do we worry about making sure God is pleased, that God is smiling and saying thank you? And the first place we need to be generous to God is God. A lot of times I would suggest to you that God doesn't, God doesn't get much from us. We, we kind of like, well, God, I forgot about you. Now, can you imagine, <clears throat> it's Quasi, uh, the general manager of the Vikings, uh, was doing all the financial management, and he said to the Wisps, you know, Mark and Ziggy, it's really tight around here. 
Uh, we, a lot of these uh, players, they need a lot of money. Cousin needs to be paid, and, and Justin Jeffers, he needs a lot of money. He's really good, and we got inflation over here, and we got to pay our concessions people and uh, keep the stadium. A lot of money. But, so Ziggy and Mark, you know, we can't afford to give you anything, right? You're the owners. You're the one that's given us. You, you own it all, but I can't, can't money. I think that's how we do God sometimes. Like, you understand, You're, you, you know, we're, we're struggling down here, but so there's no portion coming back to you, God. We're just going to take care of ourselves out of fear and sometimes, frankly, selfishness. How long would he keep his job with the whiffs? No, we, we, we want our portion. You know, God's like, hey, I would like for you to honor me. You go to the Old Testament. He talks about giving a portion of what he's given to us. Proverbs 3 talks about the first fruits of the crops back then, whatever the salary was. He says, man, I'd like the first part of that. Some of you know that in the Old Testament, they kind of teach about a, a percentage of 10%. It's called the tithe, right? And then God says, man, honor me with your 10% and see what I do with the 90%. Now, this is going to take a decision to say, oh, okay, that's a big shift. We see a little bit of this in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians when Paul says to the church, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. In other words, get planned, get budgeted, and say, God, we're going to start our financial plan on you. You go first. Some people have made a percentage uh, decision that every month, every week, this is what's going to God. You know, in the old days, we used to pass an offering plate, right? And everybody kind of feel awkward, whatever, and, and so it's in cash. And we don't do that anymore. We have some offering boxes. Some people like to write checks. Some people mail in their offering to God through this church. A lot of people just do it digitally. Uh, we've kind of made it easy here at Faithbrook. In fact, if you download our church app, uh, you put it on your, your phone. A lot of people just say, hey, hit the give button. It says, how much money you want to put in there? And you go, bop, bop, bop. And then you say, you scroll down, it says, give the faith book, right? And then there's a, there's a little uh, option in there. It's called uh, recurring giving, recurring giving. So let's say we're, we, God's calling us to give $50 a month, and we hit that recurring giving. They give us a little bank statement, and it's just every month, God, you're going first. God will give it to you generously every month. Because here's the deal. God's church and his ministry doesn't go on vacation. It doesn't shut down. It doesn't get sick. So while people are traveling or not coming to church or whatever, God's ministry is still happening. And some people understand this. And so when they're out of time and they're not in church personally or something, their money just keeps coming because they have put on their church app, I want my giving to go to God no matter if I'm here or not. It's reoccurring giving. It's a pre-decision that God, I'm going to honor you with a percent of what you have given me. You own it all. You're asking me to be a steward that there'd be thanksgiving in the land. Now, if we do it well, we also make sure that we want to give to others. There's a lot of needs in our neighborhoods, schools, homeless people. And so, at least for the comforts, we set aside some money for compassionate needs to help our neighbor. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. See, something powerful happens when we start understanding God's principles for financial thriving. And I've seen people get that, that, that kingdom mindset that they, oh, if I've been blessed with a good job or a poor job, I'm still God's steward. And God, help me to manage that well. Help me trust you well. Because I want people to be blessed. I want people to be impacted. I want you to smile and thanksgiving in your heart. 
So my friend, it's not so much about financial thriving, but it's about spiritual thriving. And one of the aspects is how we deal with the money that he has given to us. Because thriving financially comes with three things. Perspective, promises, practices that result in thanksgiving to God and thanksgiving in the land. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the words and the scriptures that help us to manage the finances. We're thankful, God, that you don't ask us of anything that you haven't done, and you were the first one to be generous. You were the first one to give the most expensive gift, and that was your family, your son, your beloved son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, the most expensive, giving, generous item. And now you ask us, God, to think about what we do with what you've given to us, how we manage that. Can we trust you? Can we practice thanksgiving? contentment so we can be generous to you and others. We need your help more than ever and help us to be those people who are thriving spiritually and helping others live in a more beautiful way. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, thank you for watching us today and viewing us. Thank you for uh, worshiping with us. Why don't you stand, uh, greet someone you don't know, and have a blessed day. You're dismissed.